are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Joanna Hardis. She is a cognitive behavioral therapist and Gestalt certified coach based in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Hey, Joanna, welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, frequent listeners of the show by now know that before we get into the kind of, uh, you know, hardcore details as to what it is that you do every day in your practice, we like to just go um, and explore some of your personal background. Um, what what factors led you to choosing a career in psychology? Um, so if you can, Joanna, can you just start us off with um, some of your background and, and kind of what inspired you to pursue this field? Sure. And my the way I landed into social work was sort of serendipitous. I went to college as pre-med and soon and I got pre-med because in high school, I a friend and I won a fellowship to do independent study and got really interested in working with folks with HIV and AIDS. And this was in the mid eighties. And at that time there were no social service agencies in Cleveland. So we ended up working with an infectious disease doctor who was working with HIV patients. So I got really interested in that field and thought the only way to pursue that interest was pre-med. So I went to Cornell to study pre-med and really quickly realized I hated the pre-med track. And talking to my advisor, she said, well, what do you like? And I said, I like talking to people. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, it sounds like you want to be a social worker, which was, I had never heard of it. And it was sort of a very, um, looking back, it was a really poor answer on her part because there was a lot of other ways to pursue it. But it, it was the perfect field for me. So without even researching it, which is, I guess, what 18 year old, well, with this 18 year old without even (laughs) researching it, I said, okay, I guess I'll go into social work. And it it happened to be a great field for me. So I switched my major um, into social work and started my career actually working as a social worker in HIV and AIDS and then it's just kind of led me into cognitive behavior therapy. And uh, I got certified in cognitive behavior therapy about, I have to, I have to time it with the age of my children. So 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. and then um, have done research and teaching and got really interested in exposure and response prevention, which is an offshoot of CBT, and got uh, some advanced certification in obsessive compulsive disorder when I was working in eating disorders and decided to start my private practice uh, about two and a half, three years ago. And now I have a private practice that is 
that is on the therapy side, exclusively anxiety disorders. And I am one of a handful of people that have, that can have been vetted to treat obsessive compulsive disorder in Northeast Ohio. And on the coaching end, decided to get coaching certification in 2018, 2018 uh, to expand my practice. Right. And I suspect we'll go into that later Ab- on. Absolutely. Yeah, you actually touched upon almost everything that we're going to go into. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, so let's, let's hop in into those specifically. So uh, first, I know that, like you said, you, you, one, two of your main specialties are anxiety disorders and OCD. Um, mm-hmm. So what kind of led you in that, in that direction? Did you have a personal connection with somebody that, that was dealing with one of these issues? Or is it just something that you, know, you kind of academically found an interest in? Well, I think I was born anxious. So um, I don't know if it was like, I always say, I don't know if it's having two Jewish parents from New York City or <laughs> I can uh, relate to one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I was born with my amygdala going off. So anxiety has been something, I think I've had an exquisitely um a uh, sensitive nervous system since the day I was born and have uh, really had to figure out how to respond differently to anxiety so it doesn't become an anxiety disorder. So I've always had a personal interest and then obsessive compulsive disorder just really makes sense to me. So while I don't have OCD, I certainly have experienced obsessive compulsive traits and it just makes a lot of sense. And before I, you know, specialized in it, I was working in eating disorders for 13 years and That didn't make as much sense to me, but because there's so much overlap with OCD, I always understood the anxiety and the the obsessive compulsive component for which some people had, and it's just, it, it just clicks. And so I can understand it, which means that I can treat it much better. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we talk about that on on the show quite often, where Mm -hmm. having a personal connection um, mm-hmm. Usually, it is a firsthand personal connection with, um, you know, whatever kind of niche you're going to occupy is always helpful. Um, in in some rare cases, it is a secondhand connection where, let's say, they had a sibling or a parent or um, friend or somebody in their life who they um, who they kind of in a non professional setting were were helping them through a certain challenge and that kind of inspired them to pursue it more professionally. Um, but yeah, in, in either of those cases, first or second hand, it's always so helpful to have that, that personal connection. Um, and so for, for listeners who are kind of on the fence as to what their niche should be or what their area of focus should be, the, I, I always say a good first step is what are some of the unique challenges you faced in your own early childhood or early adulthood um, that kind of gave you that sensibility that that gave you that perspective to understand um, that particular challenge better than maybe nine out of ten people around you, and um, so that that's always a, a good first step. Um, Great advice, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I I wanted to also um, kind of give listeners a more tangible uh, sense of what 
working with uh, clients dealing with anxiety or OCD is like. Um, that that is kind of one of the purposes of the show is to is to give that concrete window. So, can you just tell us a little bit more as to what some of those challenges look like um, specifically? Um, I know that they obviously differ from client to client, but what are some of the conversations that you're having with clients dealing with anxiety or OCD? And just give us a some more color as to what that is like. Challenges in terms of what people are struggling with challenges. Yeah. So what they're presenting to you, maybe let's say in that initial meeting. Sure. Well, and this is such an interesting conversation to be having now because it would have been different pre COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, now so I can answer it up right now. A lot of people that I may not have ever seen before are coming in and their anxiety, they would, they are telling me, you know, my anxiety was manageable. My, my partner and my, you know, my kids would say that I was a little quirky, but since COVID a, a switch was flipped and all of a sudden I, you know, it's taking me hours to leave the house or right. I'm not willing to leave the house or when I come in you know, my, my safety behaviors, my rituals for myself and my family are taking hours. So making, making, you know, they strip down, they shower, they make everyone else shower. They, you know, they have different closets for, for certain groceries. They're wiping down their groceries far exceeding what the CDC may recommend. Mm. And I think, you know, something that's, that's important to someone with anxiety, you know, they're, they're, they're worried. No one wants to get something like COVID or, you know, um, if we take it out of a COVID stance and we take it into, you know, in a workplace setting, no one wants to um, give a poor presentation or screw up on a Zoom presentation. But someone with an anxiety disorder that might call me is spending hours either doing you know, behaviors they can see, like checking over and over, or mentally looping in their heads to try to um, either avoid something happening or making themselves sure enough. And they are missing out on life because this is causing so much distress and they can't get out of that loop. And it's, so it's very different than someone with just regular, typical anxiety. Got it. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you for taking us through that. It kind of reminds me sometimes of um, the story of, you know, whenever somebody locks their car you know they they wait until they hear the beep and sometimes they you know some some people want to hear two beeps just to kind of quote unquote be sure right but somebody somebody with um and of course you can you can give your input here um somebody with with ocd they would maybe want to hear just an inordinate inordinate amount of of beeps like maybe five or six and then even once they go inside the store they're still doubting whether the car is locked and it's just kind of this loop this 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 infinite loop inside their mind of, um, you know, did I do the thing that I I, I thought I did? Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're absolutely right that 
you know, they may lock it until it feels right. And then it's the mental looping and it may not, it may extend beyond, well, they may steal my car, but now it's, well, what if they can, you know, what if they just steal what's in my car, but they've contaminated my car with COVID or yeah. what if, you know, they take my car and then they get COVID from me and they, I mean, so it's so catastrophic what the, where their mind goes. Right. It just hijacks the mind in, in that way. Um, yes. Yeah. So now that we kind of have an idea of, um, you know, what, what are the, some of the kinds of challenges, obviously it can range uh, wildly beyond what we talked about and so far in the episode, but I wanted to also transition into something you mentioned before, which was exposure and response prevention, which is, well, you, you call it on your website, the gold standard for treating OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to also give listeners an idea as to what that is. Um, so can you just introduce us to ERP um, and, and why it can be so effective for, for clients dealing with OCD? Sure. And when I say gold standard, just in case people don't know what that means, it means that there has been an amazing amount of research done that, that, that is really clear cut that, that ERP has been shown to be the most effective treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. So, and we always want to use data, evidence-based data, in or, for, to treat something. Of course. So, given that, what ERP is? So, the so in a nutshell, the it it is a systematic and gradual way of having a person um, expose themselves to situations either in real life or in their mind that they may have been avoiding or that they fear without doing any kind of safety seeking behaviors to make themselves less anxious. That's the ritual prevention part. So it's doing, it's doing things that they've been avoiding without any kind of compulsion and it's an opportunity for learning. So it's an opportunity to learn, okay, well, my, my OCD has been telling me that if I, if I, you know, it's been telling me that if I don't engage in these compulsions, I won't be able to handle the anxiety. Some horrible harm is going to come that something terrible is going to happen. And so ERP is an opportunity to say, no, let's actually see what happens. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's take the, let's, let's assume the risk and let's, let's go and see what actually happens when you don't do anything to make yourself feel better. And, and let's, let's go for it. Right. Okay. Uh, so without obviously revealing any identifying information on your own clients, do you mind taking us through maybe one illustrative example of a client that you had that went through this ERP process um, and and kind of saw some positive change on the other side? Oh, sure. So this week, um, I have uh, we're finishing up with a woman who 
is in her late 60s and she came to me a couple months ago and she has um, probably had OCD, she thinks, since her teens. And it involves, it's, it's harm OCD. So she believed that if she did not engage in lots of compulsive prayer and ritualized um, behaviors around saying certain prayers and doing certain behaviors that she might kill um, her daughter. And they could be, you know, her OCD would, would change up the rules. Like, you know, if all, if all of a sudden, you know, it would say, well, if you drink two drinks, you could harm your daughter. Or if you listen to the radio, you might harm your daughter. So it would get more and more expansive mm. what the threats were. Um, in addition to, you know, having to do, you know, sets of prayers and rituals around praying and that was, I mean, it was taking, I think when she first came to me, it was, she was praying over seven hours a day. And this is someone with a PhD and a professor. So this was My really gosh. interfering with her life. Yeah. And through ERP, we divided, we divided the situations into easy, medium, and hard for her to approach without doing any kind of any kind of safety behavior. So she would have to, you know, wake up in the morning and not go through any of her morning, you know, prayer rituals and take the risk and let's see what actually happens. Does she have urges to harm her daughter? Does she actually harm her daughter? Does anything happen? Do, you know, does she, you know, if her OCD said you can't have two drinks cause you might harm your daughter. Well then she'd have to have two drinks or, and so we divided it up and she worked through all of all everything on her menu to challenge OCD and see, mm -hmm. and see, you know, what actually happens if, if I'm not, you know, if I, if I challenge OCD, if I call it out. Right. Yeah. So as you're describing this particular case, it strikes me as a, as a kind of a unique challenge of working with OCD clients, the fact that the transformative work is happening without you there. So, it's happening kind of in their own day-to-day -day life because as you said, the OCD can pop up in an ever-expanding set of circumstances. It's not just something that, it's not like, you know, trauma where, I mean, obviously trauma is its own uh, beast in its own right, but you can work through the trauma through talk therapy in the session and mm -hmm. the client can by and large not ignore it in their day-to-day -day life, but it it can kind mm -hmm. of be it, it can kind of be worked on in the session itself. And that that is the transformative kind of environment, the session. But in OCD, it, it really is relying on a lot of buy-in and, and a lot of courage on the client's part to kind of continue the the work outside the session. Yes. Um, yeah. So the the, the trans you're absolutely right. The transformation happens between sessions and, 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 and ERP has worked beautifully virtually because 
they're in their home. So we always do an exposure together on Zoom so they know what to do. And then I have people on a day-to-day basis that, you know, we use Google Docs mm-hmm. so that they're, they're, um, they have a worksheet to do with their exposures and they submit them to me on a daily basis to kind of help with accountability, which, um, it, you know, it's amazing. And it's, and a lot of the work I do before I take a client on is making sure that their purpose, that they have a purpose that's going to be greater than the discomfort that they're going to experience. Hmm. Because if your purpose isn't greater than your pain, it's not going to happen because to your point, this is hard work and the, the transformation happens between sessions. Right. Yeah. So you are picking, you are pointing out a lot of, um, a lot of the common traits that we typically associate, at least with coaching in terms of the, um, let's look at the positive instead of just the negative. And I I think coaches themselves would be the first to tell you that a reason why they like coaching um, is because at least in, in the, in classic therapy, it is problem focused instead of solution focused. Um, I'm not sure that, that that's not a really, uh, perfect, uh, split between therapy and coaching, but it is something I think that characterizes coaching in, in a lot of ways. And the, the other one that you mentioned as well is that the transformation is happening between sessions, whereas mm-hmm. typically in my conversation with therapists, the transformation is happening inside the session. And so, um, I think OCD, uh, therapy work shares a lot of similarities with coaching in that sense. And so I wanted to also transition um, our conversation a little bit to coaching, since obviously the podcast is centered around coaching primarily. I know that you offer coaching. Um, you're a Gestalt uh, certified coach. So can you just talk us through a little bit as to what type of coaching you're actually doing and and the difference between your coaching work and your therapy work? Sure. And this is, it's a fantastic question. And one um, that I'm, that I am continually trying, it's an evolving, it's an evolving um, answer. And the way that in this moment I've defined it and COVID has really made it more complicated in some ways and clarified it in some ways, my therapy practice, and this is just how I have, have uh, answered it for myself. Mm-hmm. My therapy practice is specializing in anxiety disorders and OCD. So if someone is coming to me, they're, you know, they are, they are pretty, they are pretty sick and pretty impaired in their functioning. Someone that comes to me for coaching and with COVID um, and, and with the economic impact that it's had on folks, even with a sliding scale, my coaching practice has had a hit. Um, it, it has been people that are stuck, but they are not stuck because they're struggling with an anxiety disorder. They're stuck generally because they, um, you know, something is holding them back and it may be fear. It may be that they just, you know, they're, they can't, they need someone to just ask the right questions. It may be that they just want clarity. They may want someone to help them 
you know, discuss values and what's meaningful and what lights them up so they can have a, a better sense of what their North Star is. But so my coaching is really helping people get unstuck. But what interferes with them being stuck is not an anxiety disorder or it's not trauma or it's not it's not their hole is not as deep as someone that's going to seek me out for therapy services. Right. And so it's it's your job as the practitioner, in this case, a therapist and a coach, to tease out very early on whether the client is, you know, dealing with something a more benign, like, you, you know, maybe a self-limiting belief or something more, um, I guess in this case, you know, psychologically damaging like OCD um, or or anxiety. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and the last thing you want to do, of course, is to kind of delay that um, distinction because, uh, I mean, I have had some other therapists kind of relay the story to me um, that, you know, they maybe in their early days, they didn't do such a thorough job in that early intake. And maybe two or three sessions down the line, they realize, wait a minute, this is not just, you know, negative self-talk or something. This is like full-blown anxiety. And yes. um, and so the protocol is obviously different in that case. And um, you don't want to have to switch gears halfway through a relationship or worst case, even refer them out um, if, if you, the coach, are unqualified for that particular, um, you know, challenge, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so all important things to think about for, for anybody yes. looking to um, you know, to become a coach, to become a therapist or to offer both, you know, it is, it is very delicate ground here. And so, yes. um, um, yeah, but I, I think your experience is, is definitely helpful, um, for listeners who, who want to do both, you know, they, they want to kind of have both, uh, tools in their, in their tool chest, so to speak. Um, it's just important to know which one you're doing <laughs> in, you know, in, in the beginning. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to kind of end our our discussion with a question that I ask, you know, most most guests that come onto the show. Um, I, I think everybody kind of has an agreement as to what the rewarding side of this work is, whether it's therapy or coaching. It's that aha moment. It's that transformative experience. It's, you know, a client coming back to you three, six months down the line saying, hey, you know, my life has been turned around. Thank you so much. Like everybody kind of knows that that's what you're in this for. Mm -hmm. But but what can differ from therapist to therapist or coach to coach is the challenging side. So what has been the most difficult or the most unexpected aspect of of your work? So in the time we have left, Joanna, I just wanted to ask you in, in your own practice, and this could be either on the therapy or the coaching side, what has been that challenge for you? If you can think of just one or two. And um, how have you worked to to overcome that throughout your career? Oh, my gosh. The most challenging piece. Wow, that's a great question. I would have to say, well, the first, and, and I generally think what generally first comes to mind might not be the best, but I'm being sure enough with it. Um, I, I can definitely say professionally on the therapy side, the most challenging has been working in a field um, 
when I worked in eating disorders that um, where we didn't have models with high recovery rates. And while we had some evidence-based models, the recovery rates were so low and it was, it was the most challenging work I've ever done to try to get buy-in with a client. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just such difficult work to try to figure out how how to make relationships, how to create a relationship and how to get buy-in and how to try to partner um, with someone. And I would say that's probably been, and it was 13 years and probably um, 11, 11, you know, 11 that were really challenging, but exciting. And two that were just, I should have left earlier. Um, but that was tough. That really stretched me clinically. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I also wanted to ask you if if you ever felt, um, well, something that I find co- quite common in a lot of the conversations I have with coaches and therapists, have you ever felt that nagging sense of, um, some call it imposter syndrome or, or some others call it, um, you know, maybe not being enough you know, for their clients. And, you know, did you ever feel like that held you back at all? Because I do find that that is a, a, you know, a common challenge that coaches and therapists alike share. All the time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All the time. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're being honest about it because I cannot tell you how many times coaches and therapists have, have, kind of mentioned to me either on the show or even after we stop recording that they think that they're alone in this, you know, that, um, oh my gosh, everybody around me has like this thriving practice. And, and here I am doubting myself at every turn and thinking that, oh, I don't have enough education or I don't have enough experience or in the case of coaches, you know, especially like executive coaches, you know, my gosh, my, my clients are more successful than I am. How can I give them any insight? as to what, you know, they, they should be or, or could be doing. And so um, that's why I like to ask that question at the end, because, um, you know, it seems that is the case in your own career as well. It is, it is, it's normal, right? It's, it's normal to feel that. Yes. Yes. It's so normal. And that's really, you know, that's where the growth happens. Growth doesn't happen when we're comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Joanna, I think this was, a great insight. Um, I'm always glad to have a guest on the show who does therapy and coaching. I think it's um, it's it's always nice to kind of have that that dual perspective. So, so thank you for for sharing that with us. And I also wanted to give you a chance to give our audience um, more information on where we can find you online and if you have any social media to share. I do. I was not expecting that. So I have to remember it. So (laughs) (laughs) this might be the hardest question, Brandon. (laughs) So (laughs) my website is joannahardis.com. My Instagram is cbt.clee. And I'm on Facebook. And I I have no idea what it is. 
But <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to have these links in the show notes. I will make sure. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I will make sure that we get to the <laughs> bottom of the the mystery of the Facebook uh, URL. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, my my purpose here is to make sure that not only listeners can um, you know, get that get that snapshot. Um, of all the guests we have on the show, but also for, for further education, further reading, in case anybody is curious to know more about what it's like working with patients, with, with clients dealing with anxiety, dealing with OCD, um, you know, how they can find out more. So I will have that information in the show notes. Thank and you. Yeah, Joanna, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.